Good morning. So if we haven't met, my name is Daniel Lowndes, and I'm uh, on the teaching team here at the church. And this morning, we've got an awesome gift for you. So many of you may or may not know, but we have a sister kind of partner church in Sacramento um, for a long time, Hope Church, uh, uh, pastored by Matt Moore, um, who we've uh, partnered with, served, and, and recently they've made some moves, uh, merged with another church, and now they're called One Church in Sacramento. And this morning, um, we get the absolute privilege, one of their elders and pastors is coming to Creekside Church to open up God's uh, word with us this morning. So would you guys join me in welcoming Chris to the stage for us this morning? Hey, Chris, how's it going? Good morning. Good. Uh, can I pray for you before we get started? Absolutely. All right, would you guys join me in prayer uh, for Chris as we open up God's word? Heavenly Father, thank you. Um, first, thank you uh, for your Bible. Um, I do pray that as we open it this morning that you would move powerfully both in our hearts and Chris's. And I, I pray that um, the word he proclaims and, and um, the thoughts that he's going to share, Father, would, would first bring you glory, but help us as a church see you more clearly. Um, give my brother courage and, and boldness um, to go where you're calling him to go. Um, and I pray for grace. And uh, we love you, Lord. Go before us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 Uh, thank you guys for such a great warm welcome. Um, sending prayers out to Mark and his family this, this morning. And also, thank you, Mark, for giving me the opportunity to come before your people this morning. Uh, if you guys would, uh, please open up your Bibles. We're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 28. And we're going to be looking at verses 16 through 20. That's Matthew chapter 28, verses 16 through 20. It's a very familiar passage, also known as the Great Commission what we're going to be looking at today. And a couple things just, just before uh, we get started. This is my uh, first time here, so I don't know you guys. You guys don't know me. But uh, I will say that uh, I definitely want you guys to be comfortable this morning. But if something does so hit you and you just yell out a big hearty amen, that would be fantastic because I love to hear back from the crowd. Uh, if that's not your thing, don't worry. I won't judge you. But um, don't judge the people next to you that's uh, also screaming out, it. all right? And we're going to have some uh, fun this, this morning. I love opening up God's word and uh, being able to minister to people. So um, now before we get to the passage, I just wanted to start with the question, okay? So uh, what comes to your mind when you hear the word disciple, right? It's a churchy word. It's a word that we hear often. But um, uh, so just get in your mind what the word disciple means to you. Now, I looked up in a dictionary. The standard definition of a disciple is someone who believes in and follows the teachings of another. It is a follower or a learner. It, it refers to someone who takes up the ways of someone else. Applied to Jesus, a disciple is someone who learns from him to live like him. Someone who, because of God's grace, conforms their words and ways to the words and ways of Jesus. Or as others have put it in the past, disciples of Jesus are themselves little Christ. So let's think about that together for just a minute. Uh, a disciple, by definition, is someone who follows, one who mimics the very words and ways of another. Now, 
when I hear that, I don't know about you guys, but when I hear that, that sounds like some serious business, right? Someone who, someone who uh, f- uh, full-on dedicates uh, their thoughts and their actions to do everything like the one that, that they are following. It's essentially saying that my life is no longer my own. My thoughts, my actions, my ways, I voluntarily give up to another. That's what being a Christian is, right? So don't just take my word for it. Let's, let's look at the Bible together this morning, okay? Matthew chapter 28, starting at verse 16. You guys there? Thank you. I heard that. All right, fantastic. You guys are warming up. It's, it's all right. It's only 930. Okay, here we go. So now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. That is a good word for us this morning. So before we get uh, started talking about discipleship, we got to talk about Jesus. Because if we talk about being disciples without first talking about the one that we recognize is worthy of all of our devotion and worship, then we've missed it. See, uh, I don't know if you guys have ever done any type of teaching or whatever, but it's one of the easiest things in the world to stand up in front of people and tell them what they should be doing. It really is. It's almost like, wow, they pay you guys to do that? Yes, they do. Um, it is so easy to just stand up and tell somebody, you need to be doing better. You need to be doing it. But like, how many of you guys recognize that that's not really what Christianity is? Christianity is not just an exercise of telling people to do more, try harder, and be better. And if you do that, as a lot of uh, preaching says today, if you do more, try harder and be better, God will love you because you're bad and God only loves good people. But what we've missed is this. The heart of Christianity isn't about what you need to be doing at all. The true heart behind Christianity is Christ. <laughs> the true heart behind Christianity is Christ and what he has done to bring us back to God. It's not primarily about you and your pitiful performance. It's about Christ and his sinless perfection and his sacrifice on the cross for your pitiful performance. That's the gospel. That is the good news. The good news is that Jesus Christ lived the life that we could never do. And then he died the death on our behalf and God the Father placed on him every sin and punished him for our sins. And his blood was accepted by the Father as a satisfactory repayment. But the good news doesn't stop there. See, it would be one thing if Jesus said, okay, guys, whew, I did it. It was all finished. Now you guys have to do exactly what I did. I mean, can you imagine trying to uh, do that? We would, we would all be disqualified. We would have no hope because no matter how good that we think we are, our goodness is never good enough. See, the Father requires sinless perfection, not just good enough. God does not grade on a curve. 
and he does not overlook even a single sin. I want you guys to think about that for just a moment. Just think about how often it is that we sin. I'm not trying to depress anybody this morning. I hope you're all feeling good and uplifted. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just throwing out some uh, thoughts here, but it's almost like asking a fish what it feels like to be wet. Because when we read this book, it tells us that we sin a lot. See, what we find from scripture, in case you're not clear, is sin is not just about what we do. Although, again, that's a lot of times how it's preached. It's not just about what we do, but it's about our thoughts as well. Jesus taught this on a Sermon on the Mount when he says in Matthew 5, he says, you've heard it be said, do not murder. And a lot of us would shake our heads. Yeah, don't do that. (laughs) Don't take people off this earth, right? But Jesus doesn't just stop there. Jesus actually says, but I say, whoever is even angry with his brother, will be liable to judgment. So if you didn't know it before today, anger is on that list of sins. Jesus goes on to say, you have heard it be say, do not commit adultery. And again, all the married people in here are like, yeah, amen, don't do that. But Jesus takes it a step further and says, but I say, whoever has even lusted in his heart has already committed adultery in his heart. So again, sin is not just what we do. It's not just about actions. And Paul, Paul even takes it a step further in Romans chapter three and says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So now all of us are out, right? We just, (laughs) just, it's like, all right, cool. So we are convinced then we need a savior. We need saving because there is only one way to the father and it is not through our good actions or even by law keeping because God again requires perfection. So once you break one law, you're out. And so Jesus Christ came and he did that sacrifice on behalf of sinners. And the beautiful thing is it doesn't just apply to Jesus because we are told in John 3.16, John 3.16, the verse that millions of people love. It says, God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever will believe in him will not perish, what a promise, will not perish, but have everlasting life. So we learn that belief in him is what saves us. That one act of surrender and acceptance and a confession, right? That I am a sinner and I need rescue. Because apart from Christ, we understand that we have no hope. We have a 0% chance of standing before the Father on judgment day and being accepted on our own merit. Our only hope is that the sinless righteousness of Jesus Christ covers all of our sins and that we are accepted on his merit and his merit alone. That's why we worship him. That's why we're here today because of everything that Jesus Christ has has done for us. So then we look at Jesus's words And his first words that we read that he says today is all authority has been given to me. Meaning I have the right and the power to rule over you. Do you guys get that? Because this is an important distinction that 
people in the United States don't really get because we live in a democracy, right? Like we're not ruled by kings and queens. So we don't really get the concept of, of, of what it means to be ruled by someone. I mean, we understand we have laws, right? Speed limit laws and stuff like that that we break all the time. But we also have a lot of freedoms here, right? It's, it's very rare that the entire United States has to live under one mandate. You guys, you know, like the mask mandate that's caused all of this uh, trouble and drama that we're looking at today. But many of you remember at the beginning of the pandemic, masks were largely optional. So it wasn't even a whole mandate. But in some countries, they were not given a choice. Their rulers didn't care if you liked it or not. You just had to do what it is that you were told. Now, to help you guys get this and understand about authority, right? So um, how many of you guys have children in, in here? Okay, a lot of parents. So we're in this, we're in this together. We're in a, we're in a, we're in a, we're in a safe group where we're, 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 we have, uh, so all you guys understand some of the, uh, see, my kids are not here so I can talk bad about them. Um, <laughs> the struggle <laughs> of children. I have, I have three, ages 13, eight, and six. And so uh, for those of you that do have kids, you, you know they like to run around and do what they want to do all day. And the constant struggle, at least in my house, is the, the day in and day out instruction of what they can and cannot do. And especially when it was summertime, right? Because when it was summertime, like my kids woke up and the first thing that they wanted to do was watch Netflix and then the older one just wanted to play PS4. That's all that he wanted to do all day. But my wife and I didn't allow that in our house right? We would, we would definitely give them some free time to do that, but we were very mindful to make sure that uh, we managed their screen time. And one of the things that I told my kids every day is, hey, you guys are going to do some reading every single day. And it's for two reasons. I said, the first reason is because reading exercises your brain. When you sit and watch a screen all day, the screen does the thinking for you. When you read, you're actually exercising that, right? The second reason is because dad needs a break, right? And reading is a very quiet activity, okay? So you guys, please go in your room and read, okay? 30 minutes. Uh, So so one day I went and I was talking to my eight-year-old daughter and I said, okay, it's reading time. And, and so I went back into my room and I work from home. So I started to work and I hear her in the room playing with some toys. So I went in there and I was like, hey, I told you it's reading time. Put those toys down. I said, it's time to read. And she looked back at me and she folded her arms and she said, I don't want to read. I was like, huh, she's not even a teenager yet. We're already here. Okay. All right. Very good. So I, uh, I, I, so I brought her into my room. And I said, look, I'm your dad, okay? I'm your authority figure. And I said, you may not like what I tell you to do. And I get that because I had a father too. I didn't like the stuff that he told me to do. But you do have to do what I tell you to do, whether you like it or not. And I went on to explain to her why it's not okay to disobey what I tell her to do. And as parents, these are things that we have to do. And part of the reason for that is because our society as a whole has changed. The idea of authority has been replaced with so much autonomy that it's also invaded the church as well. 
And so many of us, us, yes, me included, many of us think that we have the right to act like my daughter did the other day when I told her to read. We think that we don't have to obey if we don't like it. We think the commands that are in this book are suggestions, and so it depends on if we feel like it or not. But we are sadly mistaken if we think that that's what being a believer and a follower really means. I heard an illustration from Francis Chan that I thought was fantastic. Um, He says that uh, if he tells his daughter, go and clean your room, she doesn't come back an hour later and say, hey, dad, guess what? I memorized what you said. Matter of fact, dad, I even memorized it in the Greek. She also doesn't say, hey, dad, I went and called a bunch of friends and we're going to sit around in a group and discuss what you said when you told me to clean my room. No, he says, she understands that when I say clean your room, that doesn't mean discuss it. That means go and clean your room. And we as believers have kind of lost that, right? Because when it comes to Jesus, we kind of do the opposite. We see the commands, we study the commands, We pray about the commands. We talk about the commands. But don't actually go and do the commands. Jesus said it himself in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, when he says, why do you call me Lord and don't actually do what I tell you to do? And really, guys, the good news about all this is that Jesus is a good master. Imagine if he were a bad one. Imagine if he were were an evil and a vindictive ruler telling us to do all kinds of evil. Imagine if he followed up his words with all authority has been given to me. So go do exactly what I tell you to do. And if you don't, I'm gonna crush you. But thanks be to God that he didn't. This God, this Christ that has been given all authority. So Since we know that he has all authority, the next question is, okay, so then what did he ask us to do? Well, we see it right there in verse 19 and 20. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Now, most people read this and uh, and maybe even preach this and emphasize on that first word, go which is an important word to center on. But the real command here is to make disciples. This verse is probably better translated, as you are going, make disciples. Meaning, as you are living your daily lives, make disciples. Jesus' command here to make disciples is one of the most important commands he's ever said. And yet these days, we believe it's given mainly to pastors and ministers. It's like the church believes it's the pastor's job every week to make disciples. But actually, no, the command to make disciples was given to all of us. The command is to go and make followers of Jesus, a follower, not someone that just appreciates what he said or, or, or just listens to what he says, but actually follows what he said. When Jesus called Peter and John to follow him, the Bible says that they dropped their nets, left everything that they knew, their job, their home, everything, and they went and they followed him. They abandoned that all and said, our life 
is no longer important. We are now going to follow you. Now, they may not have known everything that would happen to them, like getting thrown in jail, ridicule, beaten, all that stuff. But one thing they did know, they knew what it meant to follow. And that's exactly what they did. Now, these days, that has largely been missed, and many believe that they can take on the name of a Christian, but not actually follow. It's saying, sure, I'll, I'll take on the name, but I'm not going to transform my thoughts or my ways or my actions, which is the exact opposite of what it means to be a follower. If I pointed at you and I said, follow me, and you were like, okay, sure, I'll, I'll do that, and I started walking this way, but you started walking that way, would you guys say that, 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 that they were a follower? That doesn't make any sense at all. It, there's, there's no wonder why the world is so confused when we take on the name of Christ, but are not actually following the things that our Christ has told us to do. And so the first thing that we have to do as we're going and making disciples is we are going to teach people what it means to be a disciple. And the wonderful thing is Jesus didn't just leave it up to us to figure that out. He says, baptize them and to teach them. Now let's start with baptism, right? Because baptism, what it is, is baptism equals identification. Now we know and understand that baptism doesn't save you, right? But it is a public announcement that I am a follower of Jesus. Baptism is a symbolic gesture that your old self is being buried and you are coming up being born again in, into new life. Jesus's command to get baptized isn't is less of a big deal today than it was back in his day because being baptized in his name back then could get you killed. But it was all about distinction. It said that I don't just follow a God, but the one and true God. And it's the same today. Baptism shows that you belong to Christ and you worship him and you follow him, not just, not just as savior, but as Lord. Which leads to the second part, which is teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That word observe means to obey and to do. So that, what that really means is disciples, we go and we make other disciples. And the way that we do this is by teaching them, right? Now, hearing that may have caused some people to kind of tense up because this is where some of the breakdown happens. People hear that and think, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I mean, I'm cool going to church and, and, and doing all that, but whoa, 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 what are you talking about, like, teaching them? Like, I thought the teaching part was, was, was Mark's job and the other pastor's job, right? But it's also yours. You guys know that when we look at this passage, that you do notice that it doesn't say, that Jesus didn't say, go and have your pastors make disciples? That doesn't say that in your guys' Bible, does it? Because it doesn't say that in mine. He could have, but he didn't. And here is where we all need to grow a little bit because believers look at church as the place that we come to receive, maybe serve a little bit, sing some good songs, um, agree with them, and then go home. But God has called each and every one of us to be disciple makers. Do you guys realize that the neighborhood that you live in is not by accident? And the neighbors that you have is not by accident either. That God has placed you right where you are, not by accident. And that the place that you work 
is not an accident either. And so when things happen with our neighbors and with our coworkers and with our, our family members, your default should not be, oh, let me get you in church, let, let, let me get you in contact with my pastor. Or let me, let me uh, 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 get you in touch with someone who knows the Bible more than me. No, God placed you there to help to disciple them. And I get that. One of the fears that a lot of people have is, whoa, <laughs> I do not know enough to be discipling people. Well, I get that. But what that should do is to motivate you to get in this book to help them. Because God has called you. That's why you are there. And further, we need to understand that, that what we are doing is we are teaching them to obey and do what Jesus has commanded. This part I can't overemphasize enough because we live in one of the most opinionated times in history, right? Because we have social media, right? So we hear more about our own opinions on what we think on topics than what God has said on topics. But Jesus doesn't say teach them to obey and do what you think is right. He says you do and, and you teach them what I say is right. And so in order for us to do that, we got to know what he said. We got to get into this book. We, we have to look at the word. We, we do have to study it for ourselves. So we go to the Bible and we see what God says about marriage. We see what God says about how to raise our kids. We see what God says about sex and politics and how to spend and save and use our money. We go to the word to see how God views us and how he loves us. And we go to the word to see what God loves and what he hates. We go to the word, not to our feelings. That is what we do as believers and followers. See, true discipleship emphasizes obedience because Jesus himself says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus himself ties love with obedience. And also because it acknowledges, again, that Jesus is Lord, not, excuse me, not me, and I would do my best to do what he says. You know, recently I was asked about my marriage story. Um, I met my uh, wife in September of 2011, and we were married uh, by January of 2012. For those counting at home, that is four months. That is not recommended, so please do not take this and be like, whoa, that is what we should do. Do not do that unless you are fully convinced that that, that is what uh, God has called you to do. Now, there were a lot of reasons why we did it so fast, but one of them was in obedience to the commands of Jesus. We didn't live together before we got married. We didn't sleep together before we got married. And in our society, that is completely unheard of. There are a lot of people who are Christians that are like, uh, yeah, that's not something that I'm doing, right? But understand, we, we, we both made a lot of mistakes prior to getting married. But how many of you guys know that it's never too late to start to do the right thing? The thing that I appreciated so much about my wife was that we were both in agreement with waiting and it was really difficult. But instead of burning with passion, we decided, why wait? Let's, 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 let's get married. And you know what? It's things like that that disciples do. We took 
the commands of Jesus seriously. Now, I want you guys to hear me very clearly because a message like this can be very easily misunderstood. I am not teaching legalism and I am not teaching moralism. I war against that type of teaching. We do not obey Jesus to get loved. True believers do our best to obey Jesus because we are loved. We cannot forget that or get it mixed up. Obedience to Jesus and his commands come out of a grateful heart for all that he has done for us. And when he saved us by his grace, do you know what God did? He, he went in and he actually gave us a new heart and a new mind that trains us to say no to sin and yes to him. But there is no amount of law keeping or duties that you can do that's going to make him love you more. No, believer, God cannot love you any more than he already does because you are in Christ. His love doesn't fluctuate like ours does. So don't think, oh man, once I start obeying more, God is going to love me more or bless me more or like me more. My friends, if you are in Christ, hear me. If you are in Christ, he loves you. He likes you. He blesses you and he delights in you. But when you hear that, you've got to know that a love like this demands a response. When you hear someone that, that, that knows you, like really, really, really knows the real you, not the church you, and still loves you and likes you, there is gonna be a response. And so in response to that, we worship him, man. We honor him and we do our very best to teach, to keep his commands and teach others to do the same. And the beautiful part about it is that every command that we are given is given for two reasons. First, our good. Second, his glory. All of it that we do points back to him. And there's nothing that he withholds from us that is not for are good. So obedience leads to life, not to misery. And so finally, Jesus says something so amazing at the end of this passage that it needs to be understood. After he gave them these commands, look at what he says. He says, behold, I am with you always, even till the end of the age. Now, to some, that may look like, a, you know, like a benediction or maybe a, a, a cute little saying at the, at the end, but that's not why Jesus said that. He said these words because every disciple in here under the sound of my voice needs to remember that we cannot do this in our own strength. Every single one of us is going to fail a thousand different times in a thousand different ways. But Jesus wants you to remember, I'm with you. Every single one of us is going to hear these words and really desire to do them and then do something different. And Jesus wants you to remember, I'm with you. Every one of us is going to fall into sin and not do as we should. And Jesus wants you to remember always, I am with you. I am working inside of you. See, when Jesus died, he left us a gift, right? We just sung about it in that last song, the Holy Spirit who is living and alive inside of us. That spirit lives inside of us each day and he's working with all of us to help us to say yes to him and no to ungodliness. And when we fall, he prompts us to repent and to trust Jesus. He teaches us to treat sin seriously because we should. 
but not to ever forget the gospel. And, not to, and also not to turn to despair over our sin or go the other way and just shrug it off like, oh, well, like I, this, is, this is just who I am. No, he teaches us to remember Jesus's great grace that he has for the weak and sinful people. I wanna invite the worship team back up today here as we close. Because some of you guys are hearing what I said and you're like, okay, bro, I got you. Like, I'm with you. I wanna do this. Um, I know that Jesus has, has, has called me to be a disciple, but how? How do, I, how do I do this? Great question. It goes back to the command, right? As you are going, make disciples. So the first thing that we should be doing is praying, asking God for opportunities, and then see how God answers that prayer. Because God will answer that prayer. The question is, are you ready for how God is going to answer that prayer? Because a lot of us sometimes pray and expect for God to do things one way, but you don't know who God is gonna send to you. You're thinking, okay, I want to make disciples. I want to do this. And you're thinking that, okay, so God's, so God's sending you like all, the, all these, uh, you know, friends that are in your life. But what happens if he sends one of the, one of the people that's, that's done you wrong? What if he sends you that troublesome neighbor? What if he sends you uh, someone that would kind of, you guys are kind of considered an enemy? Are you, are you ready to make disciples even of that person too? Because he will send you people to disciple, but it may not be how you're thinking. Now look, I get it, right? Because right now there is so much going on in this world. Obviously we have a pandemic. There's the stuff that's going on in Afghanistan. There's stuff that's going on in Haiti and then just the regular drama that's going on in our lives. It's a lot. And for a lot of us, it can, it can cripple us because it, it just, it feels like so much but I believe that God has called us, the church, for such a time as this. Because right now, people are looking for hope. They want something to hold on to because when they cut on the news, that's not what they're getting. Many people are hanging on by a thread, just looking for anything to, to hold on to. So this is not the time for the church, the called out ones, the ones that God has, has saved to be sitting inside of our insulated bubbles here, arguing about CRT and warring against our own. Do we really think that this pandemic caught God by surprise? That he didn't know all this would be going on right now? God? The one who not only knows, but actually controls everything? No, 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 God knew. And God's not panicking and there is no sweat on his brow. He has prepared us. He has been preparing us for this time. He has prepared us to take this message of the gospel outside of these walls and to get people to Jesus, no matter what it takes. Get them to where true hope is found because right now will not be forever. The question is, the question is, I'm gonna leave you guys with this question. 10 years from now, when we look back at this time, what will we say when we're asked how the church responded in the time of crisis when we were needed most? What did the church do? I'd love to look back and hear it be said, 
that we continued on with the mission that Jesus gave to us. And we went out there and we made disciples. My friends, I pray that God so grips your heart today that if you have not trusted in him as Savior and Lord, that today would be your day. But if you have trusted him and if you have received him as Savior, I pray that today's words would light a fire under you to eagerly look for these opportunities to go and make disciples. Let's pray together. Father, we love you and we thank you for all that you have continued to do for us. I thank you for Creekside Church. I thank you for the people that you drew out this morning. I'm thankful, God, because anything could have happened to keep us from coming to this place, but you made it possible for us to be here. And now since we are here, God, I pray that those under the sound of my voice that heard this message today, I pray, God, that this message to make disciples, to love you, to to be uh, moved by the Holy Spirit would be truth to them. I pray for their families. I pray for their loved ones. And I pray for opportunities for those of us that are here to go and minister to them, to make disciples of them too. And, and as we leave here, God, will you, will, you, will you help us to be changed? Will you help us to be transformed into your image? And may we uh, trust you more than what it is that our eyes can see. Thank you, God, for your grace. Thank you, God, for your mercy. Thank you for loving us the way that you do. We love you so much, God. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.